This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm David Asman. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Jimmy Fallon. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Despite his legal issues... Former President Trump remains high atop the Fox News power rankings in the 2024 Republican White House race. His ability to continue to have strong numbers, despite the fact that he's spending all this time in court, is pretty amazing. But it has he, he's accelerated his numbers with each one of these counts that he receives. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Many Jewish students on university campuses say they don't feel safe, but are they? As anti-Semitic threats skyrocket, especially at colleges around the country. It definitely takes a toll on our mental well-being. I'm having an extremely difficult time being a student, and I know many other Jewish students feel the same. And I'm David Marcus. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The new Fox News power rankings are out, and you know who remains number one, the far and away frontrunner in the Republican race to unseat President Biden. Under Crooked Joe, our borders have been demolished, drugs and criminals are pouring in, our economy is a mess, our schools are in shambles, our justice system is corrupt. And former President Trump told voters in Sioux City, Iowa the other day, if he's elected again... The former president's at 50 to 60 percent in numerous national Republican polls. And Bloomberg surveys recently have him leading President Biden in key states, Arizona, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Georgia, where he was indicted in one of his four criminal cases. I'm being indicted for you and never forget. Our enemies want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. It's very simple. Now, coming in a distant second and third in the Fox Power rankings before next week's third debate that the former president will skip again, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley. So we've seen the two of them strengthen really out of the first and second debates. They both, I think, have hung on to those positions fairly strongly. Martha McCallum is Fox News politics co-anchor and host of The Story with Martha McCallum, weekdays on Fox News Channel at 3 p.m. Eastern. The toughest thing for these Republican candidates right now is that they're getting zero oxygen. And um, we see President Trump, obviously, as a former president, he has an unusual classification in running. In our lifetimes, we have never seen a former president run again. Yeah, it's so very, he has very that kind of incumbency yeah. that is very difficult for candidates to run against. And I think people forget that. This is a very unprecedented situation in modern times to have a former president who is running again. And that gives him an enormous amount of weight. Yeah, and it's it worked for Grover Cleveland many, many, many That's years right. ago. But we have, as we'll get into, obviously, a lot of other issues with the former president. He's got unprecedented legal problems that we haven't even gotten into yet. But when this campaign is going, we're only a couple of months from Iowa, but as you said, they're not getting much Mm -hmm. oxygen. 
the news is right now pretty much all about Israel. I mean, that's getting so much yeah. attention, this war. And there doesn't seem to be much for them to be against each other on, right? I mean, they're well, all pretty yeah. much united. I mean, the interesting thing about the primary process is that it, it is local. So each of these candidates, you've got Haley and DeSantis and, you know, Trump sort of popping in when he can to do a rally here and there. I don't think he feels like, you know, he's so far ahead. Right. He's not that concerned. But they're going county to county to county. It's a big, you know, challenge always in Iowa to get to all 99 counties, which DeSantis, I know, is trying to do. And I assume Haley's trying to do it as well. Um, so, but when they talk to folks there, I guarantee you that the Israel situation probably isn't the first thing out of their mouth. They're what probably do you concerned think it about. Is? Well, I think they're concerned about the direction of the country. I think they're concerned about crime. I think they're concerned about the economy as always a very big right. issue um, for everybody. So that. Whoever comes into second or third place a couple months from now really wins the ticket, as they say, out of Iowa, the ability to keep going. And then you have to see over the course of the next year, is there a dynamic shift? Does something change? Does something knock Trump out of that spot and provide an opening for one of these people? So we're a long way from having this be all sewn up. Ron DeSantis has seemingly stayed the same for a couple of months, yeah. but not Nikki Haley. She has risen. Mm-hmm. The latest Des Moines Register poll has her tied with DeSantis at second. Other polls nationally don't have her in double digits. She's second in South Carolina, mm-hmm. but she was the former governor there. So that might make sense. She's seemingly, though... Getting momentum. Yeah, I think the interesting thing to watch are these other candidates. We just had Mike Pence, the former vice president, drop out. Right. You are going to see what happens behind the scenes is all about the donors. Mm-hmm. And we see the money shifting, right? So when Haley started to emerge, get some momentum, her numbers start to go up in terms of how much money she can raise. And you see the other donors hanging back, saying, I'm going to sit on my money. And that happened to DeSantis for a while. They were very concerned about him as a candidate. He He's sort of a steady Eddie, though, in a weird way. I mean, he's hanging in there in that yeah. 16 17% range. You know, he's in second, third place in Iowa, in um, New Hampshire as well. And he does perform well in these debates. I think when he's questioned on things like Israel and foreign policy, he's sort of, he hangs in there in a steady Eddie kind of way. So it's, it's still interesting to watch him in that way. In these rankings, you have the next tier, yeah, the candidates that... Uh we say have growing pains, right? You have Vivek Ramaswamy. Mm-hmm. A couple of months ago, he was the one on the rise. He got all the attention yeah. in the first debate. He seemed to get attacked from all sides. Mm-hmm. Has the air come out of the balloon a little for him? I think it has a bit. I mean, he and Nikki Haley went after each other, and she seemed to win mm. that battle for now. And that's, you know, it's sort of a... <laughs> He's been seen her be going eaten, after, yeah. You know, sport, and I think is that, he going um, after the same voters as her? Though he seems to be trying to no, draw new I people not. in. I, I think he he really tries to be in the Trump lane mm-hmm. as much as he can, and that lane is pretty That's crowded with Trump. Do, yeah. You know, it's hard to imagine those voters who are diehard Trump voters pitching him over for Vivek at this point. So, you know, I think people have different motivations for running and mm-hmm. seeing their future in politics. And I think some of that may be at play here. But I do think you're going to see a lot of pressure for a lot of these other people to drop out. And will they or won't they? Will their donors dry up? Will they decide that, you know, maybe it's the noble move to step aside? Maybe it helps them later on in their political future. I remember Chris Christie was the first one to drop out the last time around. He's still hanging in there at this point. So what is he? New Hampshire's what does he want? Him. I mean, that's his he, big He probably state. would stay in through New Hampshire. They're trying in their campaigns, at least the PACs are, who are supporting Christie, urging right. Democrats, switch parties, vote in the primary for yep. Christie, and the next day you can switch back, that's fine. But we need to not yeah. have Trump 
as the nominee. His campaign is don't make Trump the nominee. Absolutely. And, you know, that's uh, there are a lot of his supporters and a lot of Republicans who feel that way. So they're looking for an option, those voters. And um, it, it seems like they haven't settled on a clear one, but there's still a lot of players in there that are siphoning off, you know, enough percentage points to prevent Nikki Haley or DeSantis, it would appear at this moment, from really getting the numbers they need to, to feel robust. We haven't mentioned Senator Tim Scott. He seems to have not found that mm. moment that drives mm. him up. What is it that, that's been a problem for him? I think there was a lot of enthusiasm for Tim Scott entering the race. He has a lot of a lot of emotional support, a lot of people who really like him, who he has a lot of integrity. Um, he has, seems to be positive. Absolutely. He has a positive outlook for his campaign. I think what he's talking about in terms of his own life experience is very powerful. It's not connecting on the on the presidential checklist in a way that he had hoped it would. Um, we'll see what choices he makes. Then there's the outsiders. Doug Burgum, North Dakota governor. He's been in the first two debates. Mm-hmm. Chances are it seems he's not going to make the debate stage mm-hmm. again. So it would be down to what, five, yeah. right? Does he have any chance? I know Iowa and New Hampshire, he has a little more support than he does nationally. Does he have a shot at the ballot? Well, the, you know what? All of these people, I think, are young enough to have, I think in some cases you want to build your name recognition. You want people to know about you. You want to have an opportunity to get out there and perhaps the next time around, and I have no idea if this is what his strategy is. I mean, he's but 67. Just I don't think he's ready people. for that. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, it's that's still young, especially in this world where we've got people the in the 80, 80 yeah. range who are the top two candidates right, right now. So right. Um, 67 sounds pretty young in this environment. I think, uh, you know, uh, 80 is the new 70 in presidential politics. If he's not on the debate <laughs> stage, though, right? I mean, yeah. is that the end for him? I, Asa Hutchinson missed the last one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's time for many people to make some some decisions here. But, you know, when you've been at it this long, they want to get through the first few votes. You know, they want to probably hang in there through Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah, the governor says there's no, no one's voted yet. Yeah, exactly. Now to those Trump legal issues. In addition to four looming criminal trials and the ongoing civil fraud case in New York, there are attempts in court this week to block the former president from being on the 2024 election ballot in Colorado and Minnesota. The premise that some legal experts call a long shot theory, that Trump election fraud claims sparked the Capitol riot, disqualifying him from running for president citing an insurrection provision in the Constitution's 14th Amendment that dates back to the Civil War era. Greater legal minds have said that they think it's highly unlikely that this effort succeeds, especially since there was no insurrection charges brought against the former president. Um, It's definitely a leap and unlikely in those states that there would be a huge uh, you know, shift in terms of that. So we'll see what happens. But it's it's absolutely a story to watch. And his ability to continue to have strong numbers, despite the fact that he's spending all this time in court, is pretty amazing. But it has he he's accelerated his numbers with each one of these counts that he receives. So as always is the case with Donald Trump, we're in uncharted territory. So absolutely. We, we watch and we we take notes and we listen to the sound bites and we try to put it all together. But it's it's always an interesting roller coaster ride with Donald Trump. He's gonna testify, it looks like next week in his civil yeah. civil trial. 
he has been very vocal inside, you know, outside the court, yeah. taking shots at the judge. I mean, he seems to make the political be his almost legal arguments at the same time. Absolutely. And, and everyone wondered, I remember we have a graphic that shows all of these different court dates lined up with the primary calendar, right? How's he going to do all of this at once? And there have been moments when it, it seems like he's missed opportunities to come out and speak about things that are happening, that he could draw on his former presidency, you know, with Israel, for example, to right. be to speak forcefully about the Abraham Accords or just take those moments in court and say, you know what, what's going on in there is not about you. It's not about the country and I'll deal with that. But here's what I want to say to you. So he's always looking for this balance. He can't resist attacking the process, attacking the judges. But that's his DNA. You know, since his real estate days in New York City, Donald Trump has always been someone who didn't want to settle any cases that came against him. Fight, 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 right. fight, fight, fight. You fight come back. after me, always. I'll that's come after who he you. Is. Right. Exactly. So that that's who he is. I don't expect that to change at all. He's going to continue to fight these cases vociferously, going to probably say whatever he wants along the way. And if they want to throw five and $10,000 uh, fines at him, I think he'll, he'll right. be angry about it. We'll see if he pays them how long that takes. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, there, I hear other people talking about how he could be thrown in jail for uh, for some of these uh, infractions of these gag orders. You know, he stay tuned. Con- All I can say is stay tuned. We don't he, know what's going to happen. He could be convicted on any of these he could counts be. Absolutely. next year. And nobody knows what that I, would My do. guess is that you're going to see delays in many of these cases and that they won't happen before the presidential election. But we'll see. It is really something we've it never, is. never dealt with. There's it no keeps us busy, right? There's no idea. Nobody know. really knows what's going to happen. No. Really something. Martha McCallum, you can watch her 3 p.m. Eastern time on The Story and also hear the Untold Story podcast, Fox News Politics co-anchor. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This is David Marcus with your Fox News commentary coming up. Students at Columbia University say anti-Semitism on their campus is out of control. They don't feel safe. Professor Shai Davidai went viral telling the parents of prospective and current students the university cannot protect their Jewish students. Speaking to you as a dad, and I want you to know, we cannot protect your children from pro-terror student organizations because the president of Columbia University will not speak out against pro-terror student organizations. Last week, Jewish students locked down in the library at Cooper's Union in New York after a rally turned aggressive and the pro-Palestinian students began chanting and banging on the door demanding to get in. This week, FBI Director Christopher Wray told the Senate Homeland Security Committee anti-Semitic threats have seemed to reach new historic levels here. Our statistics would indicate that for a group that represents only about 2.4% of the American public, 
they account for something like 60% of all religious-based hate crimes. Ray said the actions of Hamas are serving as a kind of inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate nearly a decade ago, and that they cannot discount the possibility that Hamas or another terrorist organization could conduct attacks here on U.S. soil. Wednesday, a Cornell student appeared in court on charges of posting threats to kill or injure another using interstate communications. Ahead of the hearing, Attorney General Merrick Garland said, As this arrest shows, we are focusing our efforts on confronting and disrupting illegal threats wherever they arise. The 21-year-old student here, Patrick Dye, is accused of writing on a messaging forum that he wanted to slit the throats of Jewish men, rape Jewish women, and behead Jewish babies. It's very scary right now to be a Jewish student on a college campus. Simone, who asked that we not use her last name, is a Jewish student at Cornell. People are scared to be visibly Jewish. They're scared to go to class. They're they're scared that their name is out there. It's it's really terrifying. It's it's a little bit crazy to me that, you know, this is how we are feeling on a college campus in 2023. It does not feel real. When you see videos online of kind of to your point of of like a, a Jewish kid at Harvard being pushed around like a pinball, kids locking down at a, you know, in, in the library at Cooper's Union and just on and on. Uh, the hesitancy by many in university leadership to speak out about this particular issue. You know, what what do you think, I guess, about being a Jewish student on a university campus moving forward from here? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think right now, right, there's, there's a uh, current question and there's a future question. Right now, we are feeling protected by the university. Our president, Paul, like the president of Cornell University, um, you know, met with the students of the Cornell Center for Jewish Living, which is, you know, the place where the threats were attacking. And and she sent out a wonderful statement, has been a great support of the Jewish community. And that's what's happening currently. And then in the future, we need to see continued support from university administration. What does that mean uh, to make sure the safety and their safety and security of the Jewish community it needs to create uh, educational opportunities for the Cornell community to learn about anti-Semitism, whether that's through the mandatory training that freshmen have to go to before they officially start. And in general, the university just needs to take a very strong stance on students, faculty or staff that are condoning terrorism and terrorist organizations. Uh, this needs to be a continuous. It's not a one and done conversation, which I think that uh, your question kind of addressed. There's something in the present and then this needs to be continuous. Yeah, a lot of people say they don't feel safe. It might be because Jewish students are not safe. Like there's a difference between feeling and being. And we do keep seeing the percentage of reported anti-Semitic incidents around the country keep increasing. I mean, the FBI director addressed it Tuesday. Do you feel like there needs to be some tangible changes? What would you want to see, if anything? Yeah. So I mentioned this a bit before, but I think, right, like instituting educational programmatic, some sort of mandatory Mm. programs. So at Cornell, all freshmen have to go through some training before, you know, they officially become a student or right before the school year starts. Uh, Anti-Semitism and what it means to say anti-Semitic remarks should absolutely be included in that. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people don't understand and don't realize what they're saying. Right. So that's one point of like what exactly needs to be implemented. And second, the university just needs to take a very, very strong stance, which I think that they have. But I would love to see for that to continue. 
I mean, October 7th was horrible enough um, and, and seeing people celebrate it made it worse, right? And now we're seeing threats, you know, that seem inspired by what Hamas did. I know my friend's aunt in Israel asked her the other day, you know, forget about me. I, I know I'm an, I'm in Israel, but how are you doing? You live in the United States. And she thought that was wild, that her Israeli aunt was like more concerned about her. What sort of conversations are you having or hearing about? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, there's this obviously concern for physical safety and putting that aside, like emotionally, we're not well, like Jewish students are not okay. I mean, how can you be a student, focus on work and, you know, day to day tasks when you're literally getting threats for your life? I I mean, it's not normal, right? You student work and going to class seems so unimportant when you're hearing these kinds of things happen all over the country and in terms of my own campus getting threats towards my Jewish community. It's crazy. And it definitely takes a toll on our mental well-being. I'm having an extremely difficult time being a student. And I know many other Jewish students feel the same. I know there's some blame uh, on social media, like with TikTok. And, but it's Twitter, too, and I guess it depends on what you like or watch. Like, the algorithm will give you your echo chamber. But how much of what's going on do you think is maybe driven by what kids are seeing on social media? Yeah, I think social media here plays a, definitely a key role because you're right. It's an echo chamber. No matter what you think, you're not th- – that, that's actually how misinformation spreads is when you're in this echo chamber of hearing what you want to hear. We need uh, – whether that's a university – or nationally, like there to be some sort of educational, like, you know, this is what is misinformation and this is how you combat it. And I know that, you know, universities have done that in the past and definitely in in my time of Cornell here, you know, I've learned a lot about misinformation, but there needs to be something done about the recognition that like what you see on Instagram, you need to think about, can I verify this? Where do I verify this? Where is this coming from? What are the biases? Like we need to teach people to be critical thinkers because clearly what we were doing before was not working. I think that's what going to high school and college is supposed to be is to teach you how to critically think. Is that is that just uh, failing to happen, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely read a lot of articles about like, right, are, are the, the top universities uh, across the country, you know, failing um, as institutions? And I don't know, it's a little scary to see, um, you know, people who you look up to, first of all, professor on our own campus and just in general administration, you know, you think, oh, these are the smartest people in the world who, you know, are not really taking their, first of all, taking their information from not credible sources or not really fully understanding what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely concern about, you know, what's going on in high school and colleges today. I, I think We need to really look into that because this is a serious problem. Yeah, when you heard a professor at your university say he was exhilarated by what Hamas did, uh, between that and the allegations of what the student wrote of what he wanted to do to Jewish people, I guess Cornell is maybe on the receiving end of of maybe more than than other places. You know, we're talking about how crazy things have gotten, but this... This is not new. I mean, I have a friend who recently went to grad school a couple of years ago in California, and she had stories about interacting with others, hearing their thoughts about Jews and, and Israel. And she said that there were moments where she was deeply uncomfortable. And this was a couple of years ago. And there's an Insta account called Jewish on Campus, and I've read horrible stories for years on that, on that account. How did it feel for you before October 7th? 
Yeah, sure. Um, listen, I think we're always vigilant as Jewish students, as Jewish people anywhere, right? When you see a rise in anti-Semitic incidents in the world, and especially in the United States, then, you know, it becomes scary no matter what's happening outside. So before October 7th, we still saw an increase in anti-Semitism, and that's very scary. And I think we're always right. I'm always aware. This is how I look Jewish. People know I'm a Jewish leader. I'm quoted in the, uh, you know, Cornell newspaper. These are my stances. So even before that, like, yeah, it's 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 definitely a little scary. You have to you acknowledge it. But I, I think that, you know, times like these don't happen in a vacuum. So the fact that there is very loud anti-Semitism rampant right now, it's not just random because of this war, right? It was clearly, you know, boiling up under under something and whether it was clear to your friend who was in in grad school and to me a little earlier or, or not clear to other people it was there so i think that's something that is imperative to address that like you know it was there and this just makes it way worse but this is not an isolated incident like right jewish students and and people who are jewish are always feeling like you know we have to be careful yeah all right finally do you feel like October 7th and the subsequent protests and celebrations about Jewish death have changed people, you know, especially Jewish people, maybe their politics, maybe where they want to live or how they want to operate in the world? Yeah, I do. I think it's like a eye opening. And, and for a lot of students, I think for me, who was, you know, a little bit in the political world, but not really, you know, I become a lot more interested in politics and the legality of everything um, in in definitions, you know, like the HRA definition, how that can be helpful. I think that's happening to a lot of students. They're kind of reexamining, you know, here's a group that, you know, I, I thought that I I stood with. And, you know, now they're saying these remarks, like I, I need to rethink about exactly what do I believe and where do I stand? So I absolutely think this is a critical moment where people's eyes are being open to like, First off, I don't know what I think. I need to figure it out right now. And second, if I do know what I think, um, you know, I need to make sure I'm aligning myself with the right people and, you know, try to make a change for the better. Do you feel the U.S. government is handling things properly right now or the way you would want to see the president and the Pentagon and the State Department handle everything? I, I know you're not a political official and you're a college student, but just from where you sit, are you OK with how the U.S. is handling things? Yeah, I'm I listen, I I don't feel like I have the expertise. I haven't I've been really focused so much on, you know, what's going on on campus and protecting Jewish students that like I haven't even gotten so much to read about what's going on and exactly the implementations um that you know that are being put on universities and in general to protect students and to stop this but i know overall like we're we're happy with with president biden's approach and how that he's taking this seriously and that he stands with israel and you know governor hokel came here so that was more you know on a state level it was really nice to see her support so i think we're getting a lot of support from the political world which i think is really really important and they're really making a distinction in what's right and what's wrong Simone, Cornell University student, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Meet the American who... 
gave us Nashville hot chicken. Before it became one of the hottest culinary trends to sweep the nation, Nashville hot chicken was born out of sweet, or dare I say, spicy revenge. Thornton Prince was born near Franklin, Tennessee in December of 1892 and was known to be a ladies' man. Prince had a total of five wives throughout his lifetime and many, many girlfriends scattered throughout. He's rumored to have cheated on them more than once. One of his many spouses sought revenge on him and decided to secretly add intolerable amount of cayenne pepper to the pig farmer's favorite meal, fried chicken. However, her genius idea backfired when Prince began selling the cayenne-laced chicken out of his home. His maternal grandmother was an enslaved cook on the land in which her culinary legend grandson was born. Chicken played an essential role in Southern culture stemming from a time where poultry was the only livestock slaves could own. Eventually, he and his brothers opened the legendary barbecue chicken shack around the start of World War II. However, the exact year remains up for debate. His grandniece, Andre Prince, took over the original location in 1980 and renamed the joint Prince's Hot Chicken and describes her great uncle as jolly as Santa Claus and full of laughs. The restaurant has several locations across Tennessee and many copycat restaurants across the country. Music City is full of imitators and the concoction of spices vary from restaurant to restaurant, giving their spin on the southern staple. Nashville has exploded as one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, giving the fan favorite dish a rebirth among tourists with many places serving it for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Prince died February 15th, 19 60 at 67 years old and left behind the recipe for success. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. David Marcus. What's on your mind? In the almost 50 years that I've been alive, Americans have been so protected from evil that many can no longer recognize it. In that time, the United States has faced no sustained terrorism. It has not been a war zone. By and large, when we have witnessed atrocities, it has been thousands of miles away and from the comfort of our couches. The shock of 9-11, for those old enough to remember it, was rooted in how unthinkable it was. A Pearl Harbor in lower Manhattan. Nothing like it had ever happened before, and importantly, hasn't since. For Israelis, 10-7 was not unthinkable. Its scale and savagery was unprecedented, to be sure. But for decades, they have stared down suicide bombings and rocket attacks. They recognize the evil depravity of Hamas's actions. I can remember a time when nobody outside of the farthest fringe in this country would rationalize the murder, rape, and torture of civilians for reasons of social or geopolitical justice. And yet today, such rationalizations are all around us. Democrat Rashida Tlaib, a sitting member of Congress from Michigan, spread Hamas propaganda on social media. Elite law school students refuse to condemn the atrocities of October 7th. Thousands have taken to the streets seemingly to celebrate the murder of Jewish children. Last week, Jewish students at Cooper Union in New York City had to be barricaded in a library to protect them from pro-Hamas protesters, eventually evacuated through tunnels in the United States of America. In the America in which I was born, when Americans who liberated Nazi death camps were in middle age, Hitler and Nazism signified evil so terrible that nothing could be said in its defense. No equivocation was allowed. 
This is in large part because those men and women had paid the personal price of war to defeat an evil regime, and many witnessed its horrors in the rotting flesh. What is key to understand is that the privilege of moral relativism is afforded only to those who are safe from the effects of evil moral choices. These college students and protesters pay no price for their callous support of murderous terrorists. To them, it may as well be a midnight game of risk in the dorm room, with America always as the bad guy. Americans of good conscience must entirely reject moral equivocation in the face of the pure evil executed by Hamas, just as our society would have done a century ago. Good and evil exist in the world. To refuse to name them, to give comfort and succor to terror, is to betray the generations of Americans who fought for a more moral, just, and equal society. It is right to shame those who support such evil. It is just to rescind job offers and to protect our institutions from those who justify Hamas's atrocities. After all, students at elite law schools go on to become United States attorneys and federal judges. If they can support the massacre of babies in the name of social justice, is there any doubt they would violate the rights of Americans to achieve it? This is a moral line that requires consequences for those who cross it. 163 years ago, on the eve of a civil war to end the evil of slavery, Abraham Lincoln took to the stage of that same Cooper Union where Jews were rounded up last week. He ended his famous address with these words, quote, let us have faith that right makes might. And in that faith, let us, to the end, dare to do our duty as we understand it, end quote. That duty begins with calling Hamas and their actions what they actually are, the true and vicious face of evil. This is David Marcus, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.